I am fairly certain, fairly confident that each person here, and welcome by the way, it's good to be back. We can have a maximum of 150 this service, 150 at the 11 o'clock service, so um, please, please come. We want you to come out and uh, things are looking good for the summer, we're excited for it, but I am quite certain that uh, every person here has done something in their past that they regret. Something you wish maybe you could go back and change, made a decision. Maybe you didn't make a decision. You did something. Something you did or didn't do based on immaturity, lack of impulse control, maybe spite. Something you maybe did when you weren't a follower of Jesus yet, or maybe you were, a, you were young in the Lord, young in the Christian faith. Now, I, I'm not talking about regretting a, a haircut or, or an ill-advised fashion statement. Like, I, I once wore socks with sandals. My wife would never let me out of the house again, sock with sandals. Or maybe it was, you know, just eating one too many cheeseburgers. I'm not talking about those types of regrets. I'm talking about things that you are embarrassed about and if given the chance, you would like to undo. I have regrets. I have lots of regrets. I have so many. I could stand up here for the next 30 plus minutes and tell you story over story and still have not exhausted all the regrets that I have in my lifetime. These are things that I wished I didn't do. Things that if I could, I would go back and change. Partly because they're embarrassing. But mostly because of my witness today. Most of the things I regret were done before I became a Christian. Before I chose to follow Jesus. I was immature. I was rash. I didn't always make the smart decision. My wife would tell me those are still some of the hallmarks of my life today. But this was before I was a Christian. But the hardest consequence to overcome, because there are consequences for my actions. Severe ones, in fact. But the hardest consequences to overcome was how I am still perceived today by those who knew me. And, and knew what I did as a child and a teenager. So let me give you a couple of examples, and please understand, I do not tell these stories to bring glory to them or to me. I don't want anyone listening thinking I'm advocating for these types of behaviors. In fact, Sherry, I think we should put a, a warning label at the bottom of this video uh, that says, do not try these at home, they were done by a stupid, immature, rash kid. But I will tell you these stories. Because Lord willing, they will strengthen the points I believe God is teaching us in our scripture this morning. And our scripture this morning is, is Mark chapter 6. As we continue on in our soul revolution. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 6. We're going to read verses 1 to 6. It's also going to be on the screen. It says this, Jesus went out and came into his hometown. And his disciples followed him. 
And so when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him in such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and, and Jose? I, I didn't know he had a Mexican brother, but maybe he did. Um, it was supposed to be Joseph. It's, it's translated as Joseph, but it says Jose in mine. Um, James and Jose and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense. They took offense at him. Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Verse 4, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Here's story number one. When I was a young teenager, we lived in a trailer on some rented land in a place called Hope, B.C. Um, right up against our, the land that we rented was the, the CP rail line, the railway tracks. Immediately on the opposite side, right up against the tracks, was the beginning of a mountain. Mount, we call it Mount Thackers or Thackers Mountain. It wasn't so much a mountain as it was just a really big hill. Um, homes were on there, and there's a road that ran through the property, past our house, over the tracks, and then up Mount Thackers. One of the things I'd like to do when I was bored, either on a Saturday or a Sunday or one of the long weekends, I had no friends around, and my brothers were busy, or my sisters were busy, and I had nothing to do. I had idle hands. One of the activities I would do is I would climb up a ways up the mountain. I'd go down our road. I'd cross the tracks, and I'd climb up the mountain, and I'd sit on the ledge that was well-constructed just up there, and I'd, and I'd watch the trains as they come whizzing by. We had a train almost one every hour. I, I wish to tell you that I was a train lover, and that's why I did it, but that's not the truth. I did it because I was waiting for the train cars to come past, the ones that were carrying the brand new vehicles from the east, the Toyotas, the Dodges, the Chevys, the Kias, whatever they were, as they moved across Canada to the port in Vancouver. And I would sit on that ledge on that mountain, and I'd pick up rocks, and I would throw rocks as hard as I could to try to bust the windshield, or the side windows. Inevitably, I'd hit one or two, but I usually missed, and so I just ended up denting the vehicles. I, I wish I could tell you I only did it once, but I didn't. It was like a common thing with me, something I enjoyed doing. I felt no remorse, no regret, didn't even think what my actions were causing for other people on the end of the line. So one fateful day I was up there, probably a Saturday or Sunday. Train was coming by, full of cars, took my rocks, and I'm tossing them. And I'm, I'm dinging windshields. I'm hitting the side of the doors. I'm telling you, it's, my aim was, was true that day. When the train was done, I noticed there was a CP rail truck on the other side of the tracks. 
He was waiting for me. People who lived in the houses on the mountain above me saw me. They didn't always see me, but they saw me this day, and they called down to the CP rail office in Hope and said, there's a kid throwing rocks. And they went, you know, we were wondering, because a lot of cars were getting damaged in between there and here, and it's good, so they came and met me at the base of the mountain. This was like late 70s, so he grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, and he literally tossed me into the back of his truck, and he told me to stay there, and he drove me down to the police station where I was charged with vandalism. Vandalism. You thought, yeah, Frank, you learned your lesson. You made a mistake. No, I was a pretty thick-headed kid. A little while later, a couple of years, I'm going to say, I was a mid-teenager, maybe 15, 16. Me and my buddies had a, our own little club. It was a, like a comic book collecting club. And um, I didn't have a lot of shekels in those days, didn't get an allowance. I only made money by turning in pop bottles or beer bottles or pop cans. My friends all had an allowance, but we decided to form this club and buy the most expensive comic books that we couldn't afford on our own, and then we'd share the comics and pass them around the group. And uh, there's a whole list of ones that we, we, we couldn't afford but we wanted to get. And so we're thinking of ways of how we could earn money. Hmm, how can people who are young in the summer earn money? We didn't think about mowing lawns or collecting more bottles or, or, or doing chores or, or getting a job. No, we decided to come up with a quick, a, 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 a quick get-rich scheme. To be honest, it was my idea. I confess it. It was my idea. Our school had been uh, going door-to-door, raising money for some charity. It was, I don't know, orphans because of leprosy or, I, I, I don't know, blind kids in Africa. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. But the whole city knew, the whole town knew we were collecting money. And so I said to my buddies, I said, hey, let's make our own jars. And so at the age of 15, we, you know, masterfully crafted our own labels and, and wrapped them around old, like, jam jars, and we made up a fake charity. Nobody could tell the difference. It was perfect. It was awesome. And we went door to door, and people gave us money. Now, I'm not talking tens and twenties. I'm talking nickels and dimes. And, and we're, we're filling these jars up, but it still wasn't getting full enough. We wanted more money. So then I had, a, I had a great idea. I said, guys, I'm Catholic. You guys aren't. I'm, uh, I know where the nuns live. There's a house where, the, where all the nuns live together. And I think it's church law that if we go there, they got to give us money. And so off we went to the nun's house. We knocked on the door, explained who we were. Oh, yes, young Francis. My name's Francis, by the way. Young Francis Peter, good to see you. That was the nun, by the way. That's, that was her voice. Uh, that's how I remember it. Told her what we were doing. Oh, that's really good. I don't know why she had an accent. I don't think she did. Um, and she said, uh, just wait there. I'll get Mother Superior. So she went off, got Mother Superior. Mother Superior comes out, and she's talking to us about this charity. And we're talking back and forth, talking back and forth. What I didn't realize was they were stalling. The, the, other, the other sister was calling the school, one of the teachers, to verify whether our authentic-looking jars were authentic, because they weren't. And so then... A signal was given, I think, and Mother Superior invited us in for lemonade and cookies. And I'm like, oh, we're going to score big guys. Like, it's a lot. They're going to have to give us the money, and then we can go buy our comics. So we're eating our cookies, drinking our lemonade, talking about life and this charity and, and all this kind of stuff. And then there's a knock on the door, and th- there was the constable from the RCMP detachment in Hope. The nuns didn't buy our authentic-looking jar and had called the police, and the police had come and picked us up and 
um, took us down to the shop, and I was, um, we were all charged with fraud. So there were immediate consequences for these actions. I lost all my friends. No parent would let any children my age play with me, hang out with me. It was also an extreme loss of trust within the school and the community. I couldn't get a summer job for years. I was not allowed to, you know when you're in band and you sell chocolates door to door? Yeah, I was not allowed to sell chocolates door to door. Girl guide cookies, I wasn't in girl guides, but if I was, wouldn't be allowed. You know what I'm saying? And now there's a third story I could tell, but I'm not going to. And that third story would further alienate me because it painted me as a bully, as a, as a pig-headed bully. And so an already difficult child in teenage years became even more difficult because of my rash, immature actions. And to this day, I can go back to my hometown, Hope, B.C., and people will still say to me, hey, Frank, do you remember when you did dot, 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 dot. My witness today is impacted by my actions of the past because my family knew me, because my friends and my community knew me. They may not know me today, but they knew me then, and that's what they remember. The old Frank. And so my gospel words bounce off of them like a seed when it hits cement. Now Jesus, it appears in our scripture, had a similar problem. He shows up in his hometown of Nazareth. He brought his 12 disciples with him. I don't know, maybe he wanted to show off his old hometown where he had the winning touchdown. I, who knows? Um, but he wanted to show off the town to his friends. He wanted to show them where he went to school, where he grew up, where his father Joseph had his carpentry shop. And so when it came to the Sabbath, Jesus took his 12 disciples and he went to the synagogue. The synagogue that he likely grew up in. But Jesus wasn't a passive listener. Instead, he stood up and he began to teach, the scripture tells us. And scripture says the people were astonished. Astonished. They were astonished not so much by his teachings, but because of who was giving the teaching. It was Joseph's son, the, the carpenter. Who does he think he is trying to tell us what we should believe and not believe? Look at him, feeling so special about himself. Who does he think he is? We know the truth. His sisters are right here. His, his brothers are right here. His mom is right here. We know who you are, Jesus. You've lived amongst us for 30 years, and you did nothing here except for build things with your father. And now you try to come back here to our synagogue with a group of your friends, your own disciples, and you stand up in our synagogue, and you try and teach us like you're some sort of prophet or some sort of priest. We know you're just a carpenter. So that's why we get to verse 3, and it says, And they took offense. They took offense at him. Jesus was born without sin. He lived 
in that town for 30 years without sin. He ministered for three more after that without sin. Jesus did not throw rocks at train cars, nor, I have it on good authority, nor did he defraud a bunch of nuns. Yet still, his friends and his family took offense at him. Why? Because they remembered who he was. He was the son of a carpenter. Because they remembered who his family were. They were common, everyday, ordinary people who, who, had, who had a set of parents um, who had a questionable birth before they got married. Because they couldn't reconcile who he once was to who he now says he is. So they took offense at him. You know, when I've returned back to my hometown of Hope or, or visited with my family and tried to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with them, they all, at one point or another, took offense at me. They would ridicule me. They scoffed at me. They, they, they mocked me because they remember who I was, who my family was was. And they can't reconcile who I was with who I now say I am. And for Jesus, in verse 5, we're told he could do no miracle there, except that he, told, that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. The atmosphere in Nazareth was so toxic for Jesus that he had difficulty performing any miracles in his hometown of Nazareth save for healing a, a few sick people. You know, I was invited to speak at a camp in, in, in Chilliwack. Uh, Tina's uncle, actually, is now the director there, but I don't think he was the director when I was invited. It was 20 minutes outside of the town of Hope. It's called Cherish Camp. And, and while I was there teaching, local pastor from Hope um, came, and he listened. And he, and he heard that I was from Hope, BC, that I was born and raised there. And he got excited. He was from the States. He, he, he accepted a call out of the United States to come up to Hope. And he heard me preach, and, he, and he, he saw me teach at the camp. He heard I was from Hope. And so he invited me to come to his church that next Sunday to share my Jesus story. He thought the people would be so excited to hear how one of their own had received Jesus and was saved. So that made me excited. I was going to be able to share that the old Frank was gone, and the new Frank was here, all because of the wonderful, saving, transforming power of Jesus and his gospel of good news, his gospel of salvation. So I was excited. I was going to be able to share who I was before I met Jesus. I would share how I, how I had actually met Jesus. And then I was going to share how Jesus had changed me. What an opportunity this was. So I arrived early that Sunday, hoping to sit in on their adult Sunday school class, do some meet and greet with folks whom I had known since I was a child. Teachers, principals, police. Uh, 
I was received by the pastor who took me into his office, sat me down, and he told me this. He said, unfortunately, the deacons of the church had overruled him. And I wouldn't have the opportunity to share my testimony. It was being revoked. I asked, why? He was told by one of the deacons, we know this guy. He and his family have a questionable history in town. He was a bit of a con artist as a teenager. The pastor said he fought for me to, to have the chance to share how I had changed through the, through the power of God. But he was told by one deacon, it was my grade, grade nine teacher, a leopard never changes its spots. I haven't been back since, except for my mother's passing. Even though 40 years have now gone by, my past actions still affect my current witness in my hometown, and it used to grieve me. It used to grieve me greatly. I almost would feel defeated, except for it. It also happened to Jesus. But it happened to Jesus through no fault of his own. Verse 6 says he wondered at their unbelief. Jesus had done nothing to cause his family, his friends, nor his community to distrust, distrust him. They took offense at Jesus because of their own unbelief. He could do no miracles, not because he was limited in his own powers, but because they were limited by their own unbelief. Without faith, healings don't happen. Without faith, demons won't be cast out. Without faith, salvation cannot occur. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because unbelief clouds everything. So I, I look back at the times I have tried to witness to my family, to my friends, and to my community, and I do get pangs of guilt still from time to time um, because it clouded my witness, my past actions. But then I read these scriptures right here, and, and, and that disperses most of my guilt away because my past is my witness. I don't need to be embarrassed by it or feel guilty anymore because when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, when I invited him to take control of my life, when I asked him to forgive me of all my sins, when I turned away from those sins, I'm told I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things passed away. And behold, new things, new things have come. I am made brand new. The leopard did change his spots. That is my witness. I once was that bratty, impulsive, me first type of guy. But now thanks to the relationship that I have with Jesus... Thanks to him and his forgiveness and thanks to his grace and his mercy, I am a new creation. 
and so are you. So are you. So are you. Or it can be if you've never accepted Jesus. Jesus' free gift of eternal life. There is no need for us to live in guilt and shame over our past because Jesus wipes all of that away. This is a soul revolution. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our wrongdoings from us. Hebrews 8.12, and I will remember their sins no more, says God. So while it's true your friends and your family will remember who you were, and it will be true that many won't be able to reconcile who you once were to who you are now or who you now say you are, once you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you are a new creation, and that is your witness. And that story must be told. You don't keep it to yourself. You tell that story. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. And then Jesus summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. No socks, just sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So Jesus has now moved off from Nazareth into the next village or town. It wasn't clear where he went, but it was clear he went away from his hometown. And after seeing their master unable to do all the things that they were accustomed to seeing their master do, they are now being sent out on their own in pairs to do ministry. Because they have a story to tell. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus took his disciples to his hometown not to show off his humble beginnings, but instead to teach them the importance of faith in God. The disciples had witnessed what a stumbling block a lack of faith was. And Jesus wanted them to experience firsthand what true faith could accomplish. So, so Jesus sends them out in pairs because there is no I in team. They, they were to rely on no one except for their ministry partner and God. They were to, to be scattered amongst the villages, a wandering ministry, if you will, that demanded a simplistic lifestyle. And it was designed to encourage and demonstrate faith in God. So they could take a staff for walking amongst the uneven ground, but they couldn't take any food. They couldn't take a bag lest they be tempted to fill it full of food. And certainly don't take any money so that you could go buy food to stuff into your bag that you don't have. And even though it gets cold at night here, 
in our neck of the woods, you can't take more than one tunic. Trust in God was the message that Jesus was giving to them. And the disciples' mission was simple. Go and do ministry in the name of God. They were given authority over demons in verse 7. They were told to go preach the good news, the gospel, to men. That they should repent. That was verse 12. And then they were anointing and healing the sick in verse 13. That was their ministry. You and I have that same mission given to us by Jesus. We have a story to tell that we need to go and tell. Along the way, we're going to help those who struggle with their own personal demons, with their addictions, with their adultery, with their greed, with their anger, with their jealousy, with, with their gossip. And we are to pray for those in need of healing and anoint them with oil. And we do it all in faith through the power of Jesus and his spirit that resides in us. So, so Jesus then gave them another clear mandate in verse 11. Do not force themselves or their message on those who are unwilling to hear them. Basically, time is of the essence. Get in, get out. There was no time to debate over nonsensical, nonsensical things. Do not spend time with those who have already made up their minds and have given in to the power of unbelief. Instead, go and spend time with those people who are willing to listen. Jesus was sending them on a mission marked by humble persistence. Because with faith, Jesus knew healing occurs. Jesus knew that with faith, demons can be cast out. And Jesus knew that with faith, people are saved. Hebrews 11.6, because anyone who comes to him and believes that he exists will be rewarded for earnestly seeking him. Your past is your witness if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are a new creation, and the world needs to hear your story. Yes, in all likelihood, you will be a prophet without honor in your hometown, amongst your family and friends, but, but that's okay. Because you have a team behind you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your team. If your family and your friends won't listen because they're, all they see is you, the old you, your old ways, then do what I do. I, I pray for other Christians to come into their lives who would be willing to share their Jesus story with them. My mother was led to Christ not by me, but by my daughter. One of my brothers was led to Christ not by me, but by his brother-in-law. My sister was led to Christ, not by me, but by a co-worker. My niece was led to Christ, not by me, but by a neighbor. And I prayed for each of those people. I just didn't know who God was going to send into my family's lives. So do not let your past mistakes and regrets sideline you from the mission that you have been sent out on. Instead, be ready. Because someone, somewhere, is praying that you 
will be sent to their loved ones to share the story of Jesus with them. They just don't know it's you. I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to come up. Father God, first and foremost, if there is someone here today who has been living in regret and they've been beating themselves up and they don't even think they can even come close to you, God. They've never asked you for forgiveness. They've never uh, given their life over to you. I, I ask you right now, God, to move in their hearts that they would take this opportunity to understand that you have forgiven them. They just need to ask for the forgiveness that you are here to save them. They just need to reach out with the, with the hand of faith to say, yes, Jesus, save me. And I pray, Lord God, that through one prayer that says, help me, Jesus, that they would today become a child of God. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here who, like me, have had regrets in their lives and, and maybe are beating themselves up and have sidelined themselves because of their past mistakes. But Lord, your forgiveness has forgiven all of that if we've confessed it with our mouths. You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You do not hold us accountable for those sins right now. Lord, you want us to go on mission. Those regrets, those embarrassing actions, that's our story. That's, that's our witness. That we are a new creation because of you. And you have changed us from old into something new. Thank you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. In the power of Jesus Christ, leopards do change their spots. You become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. This summer, this summer, as we switch over to Wednesday night services, we do so with one sole purpose in mind. That's delivering the good news to Lloyd Minister. In fact, that's what we're calling our summer series. Everyone likes to hear good news. So we need you to go out and get your friends, get your family, get your neighbors, get your co-workers to come out Wednesday nights this July and August and they're going to hear eight separate stories, examples, encounters of people, encounters people had with Jesus and the good news that they received because of it. And Lord willing, as Pastor Mike said, we want a barbecue hot dog, so we need people to barbecue. We're going to have some jumpy castles for the kids before and after the service. There'll be a kids' ministry going on here in the building. We're going to sing songs to God, and we're going to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to tell our stories of how we went from old to new. This is it. This is what we have been called to. This is our mission, and we need you. God need you. So I'm going to ask you a question and I want a response. Even with your mask on, are you ready? He wants you to use your story. Are you ready? Are you ready for a soul revolution? Excellent. God bless you. Go and enjoy the sun and may the peace of God just transcend all of your understanding. You're dismissed. Have a great afternoon.